Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. I recently heard a statistic uh, that was staggering to me. Um, Of the last 56 NBA championship games, LeBron James has played in 51 of them. 51 of the last 56, which is unbelievable. Uh, He's won four championships with three different teams. He's had four NBA MVP awards. He's made the all-star team 10 times and been voted finals MVP four times. This past week after winning his fourth championship with the LA Lakers, LeBron James gave these inspiring words. I want my darn respect. I sanitize that a little bit. I want my darn respect. Shortly after, his coach was happy to give LeBron the respect that he craved, saying he's the greatest player the basketball universe has ever known. I'm guessing that, along with all the other accolades, did not satisfy LeBron's hunger and plea for respect. Today, we look at a similar character in the book of Esther, a man named Haman who is thirsty for honor and appreciation and respect. In today's passage, there's a Hebrew word called yakar, and it appears a total of 16 times in the Old Testament. Half of those times, this word yakar appears in the book of Esther. And of those eight times, five of those times, it appears here in Esther chapter 6. This word yakar is translated in almost every translation of the Bible as honor. Now, we don't live in a culture, much of the world lives in a culture of honor and shame. We're not quite like those cultures. And so for us to understand how profound this thing of honor is, maybe understand it as to be valued or respected. Maybe a best word would be used would be cherished. And what we find here is that Haman, who is the second most powerful man in the world, has an unsatisfied hunger to be honored, to be respected, to be cherished. Now, it's nice to be honored. It's nice to get an attaboy or for others to appreciate you, for someone to treasure you. In many ways, this is a longing to be valued and honored that God has given to us. But what this passage reminds us of today is that if we seek our value and our honor in the wrong places, we will always be thirsty for more. And so if you long to be honored, respected, valued, cherished, and who doesn't? But if you long for those things, if you're thirsty for those things, 
this passage is written to satisfy your soul. So first, I want to look at our passion for honor. Again, honor is a phrase that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. So you can even say our passion to be treasured. Uh, If we look backwards in this passage or in the book of Esther, like I said, this word yakar, which means honor, appears eight times in the book of Esther. The first two times it appears is in chapter one. First, it appears in verse four, in which the king for 180 days is displaying his yakar or his honor. And so he is seeking to gain honor from the people that are around him. It also appears the second time later in chapter one, when the king who gets the, the advice of his wise men makes a decree out to the entire Persian empire that wives must honor or yakar their husbands. And so you see the king and the men of the kingdom are thirsty for honor. This is also vividly apparent in today's passage through Haman. Haman is promoted to the prime minister of the Persian empire. He is the second most powerful man in the entire world. Everybody bows in honor to Haman, except one man, Mordecai the Jew. And as we have seen and will see, Haman is overwhelmed with anger by the dishonor and disrespect of this one single man, Mordecai. And in return, Haman not only wants to destroy Mordecai, but his entire people, the Jews, Last week, we read that in an effort to stop the genocide of her people, the Jews, Esther risked her own life to come before the king. And when the king asks her what her wish is, she says, I want to throw a banquet for you and for Haman. Will you come? And so they come. And so now that feast is over with. Haman is coming out of that feast. And he is on top of the world because he has had this great food, this great wine with the king. And the queen Esther has only invited one extra person to this feast besides the king. And it is Haman. And so he has received the honor of Queen Esther. And so now he is floating on cloud nine. He is rejoicing and glad and happy. And he is coming out of this banquet. And that's where we pick up today's story. Esther 5, verse 9. And Haman went out that day joyfully and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them, the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, and the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. And then listen to this. He says, yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. Haman had been honored by the king through promotions, 
He had been honored by thousands of people who bowed down to him whenever he passed by. He had been honored by the queen through this great banquet. He was being honored by his wife and friends as he listed out his accomplishments. But one single pedestrian, one single seemingly insignificant Jew named Mordecai does not honor Haman and his world is torn apart. Haman goes home to tell his own greatness, to to get the affirmation from his family and from his friends that he cannot get from Mordecai. Haman's anger seems disproportionate, doesn't it? It seems disproportionate. This is important. 99.9% of the world honors Haman. But Haman is 99.9% consumed by the 0.1% of people who do not show him honor. Does that make sense? 99% of the world, 99.9% of the world honors Haman, but he is consumed with the 0.1% that does not honor him. You know, this is common in humanity, isn't it? Can I ask who is that 0.1% in your life that you say, if only they would honor me? If only they would cherish me. If only they would delight in me. Who takes up 99.9% of your head at times? I'm guessing for many of you, it would be your father or your mother who have never shared with you their love for you or not to the extent that is right and good. For many of you, I'm guessing it could be your husband or your wife who, when you're in public, is so happy and delighted and so lovey-dovey towards everybody. And yet when you get home, it's, and you feel about this small. For some of you, maybe it's your boss or a coworker or employees that don't seem to appreciate your time and your effort. Giving honor and receiving honor is a good thing. The Lord commands children to honor their parents. Leviticus says we should honor our elders. We, of course, are called to honor the Lord. Romans 12 says that we should outdo one another in showing honor. To give honor and to receive honor is a good thing. But here we see the difference between appreciating honor and needing to be honored. Appreciating honor leads us to gratitude. Needing honor is an all-consuming enslavement that leaves us thirsty for more. We see here, this here with Haman, as he seeks advice of his wife and friends. Verse 14 in chapter 5, we read, this, Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows, 50 cubits high, be made. And in the morning, remember that, in the morning, tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. You know, it's so interesting because if you remember, Mordecai's days were already numbered. Uh, there, was, there was a genocide of the Jews that was coming along. But Haman is so consumed with, with anger and with vengeance at the disrespect of Mordecai that he cannot wait that long. 
And so he decides at the, at the encouragement of his wife and his friends to build gallows 75 feet high. Now, that is a tall gallows. To put it in perspective, if you can imagine the cross on the front of the church, it stands from ground to the top about 30 feet high. So this is more than twice that height. And the reason why these gallows were to be built so high was because killing Mordecai was not enough. Haman wanted to humiliate Mordecai. Haman wanted the gallows so high that the entire city could see so that Haman could get his respect one way or another. You see, we can tell if our desire to be honored and respected and loved and cherished is more than it should be or directed in the wrong place, I should say. If when we don't get it, we want to be punitive towards others, meaning we want to punish them. We want them to get what's coming to them. You know, I don't, I don't think I'm a road rage guy. Uh, my wife might disagree with me on that. I, I, I definitely drive to drive, try to drive very efficiently, um, but I don't think I'm much of a road rage guy. But, but a couple weeks ago, uh, I was pulling off the highway at uh, going to my house and there's kind of this clover leaf and then you come up to a, a stoplight and there are three lanes, two lanes that will turn left and then one lane that turns right. And I was coming off, getting ready to turn left and I had to choose a lane to turn left from. And evidently I did not choose that lane fast enough uh, because the guy behind me started honking at me. Now, this guy must not have known that I am an above average driver, much like all of you are, I'm sure, right? And he honks at me, which disrespects my driving, which disrespects me. Now, a good Christian would just let this go, right? But well, in this moment, uh, what happened is when the light turned green, he took off. And what I did is I took off next to him and kind of stayed in his blind spot so that he couldn't get over and accomplish his turn and get into a subdivision. And so I got my vengeance. I was disrespected and I was punitive. I wanted to punish him for what he had disrespected me. You know, this week, you will see on the news that someone is going to murder someone else. And you know why that is going to happen? Because they feel disrespected. Because they feel dishonored. Because they don't feel cherished by that person. Within us, there will be road rage. There will be fights with family members. There will be tears. Do you know why? Because we have not received the honor we think we are due. We are hungry and thirsty for honor. Again, giving and receiving honor is not a bad thing, but we know when it becomes a ultimate thing, when it takes a disproportionate amount of space in our head, but also when we seek vengeance on the person who does not show it to us. Now, what does it look like to be shown honor? Well, here we see a world's view of honor through the eyes of Haman. Look at verse one with me in chapter six. It says, on that night, uh, that is the night that Haman dis was disrespected by Mordecai, the night that Haman planned the very next day to hang Mordecai from the gallows. On that night, the king could not sleep and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. 
And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. You know, a couple sermons ago, we talked about coincidences and coincidences are God working incognito. Here we see a culmination of a bunch of coincidences. In Esther chapter two, Mordecai is at the right place at the right time to overhear this plot to kill the king, which is a coincidence. He tells Esther, who goes on to tell the king in the name of Mordecai and the king by coincidence forgets to honor uh, Mordecai. And it's very important, by the way, that the king honors Mordecai right away because if he honors Mordecai right away and publicly and lavishes his honor upon him, what does it do for everyone else in the empire? It encourages them to tell the king if there's a plot against him. But he, by coincidence, forgot to do that. In Esther chapter three, we find out the king, uh, again, coincidentally, elevates Haman instead. And then um, what we find here is that five years later, five years after this uh, event, about 1,800 nights have passed. And it is the eve of Mordecai's execution. And by coincidence, the king cannot sleep. And so he calls in one of his servants to read from his chronicles. And by coincidence, the servant chooses the very story about Mordecai saving his life. And because of this string of coincidences, the king is eager to honor Mordecai on the very day that Mordecai is set to be executed. If you've ever seen the Incredibles, they'll have this saying, they go, coincidence? I think not. <laughs> That's what we see in this passage. This is evidence that God is at work in the midst of the chaos, that God is controlling the sleep schedule of the king, that God is even controlling the thumbs of his servant that is paging through the Chronicles to decide what story to read to the king that night. God is working through his providence to fulfill his promises to preserve his people. So we get to verse four. And it says, and the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in. Remember, why was Haman coming early in the morning? He was coming to get permission to have the king hang Mordecai. That's what he was coming to do. But before Haman could get a word out, we read on. Verse six continues. It says, and the king said to Haman, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? Haman was his right-hand man, his drinking buddy. He figured, I'm the one that the king wants to honor. Haman's dreams are coming true. And then we see his portrait, the world's portrait of what it looks like to be honored. Verse seven, and Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor. And let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. 
Haman makes three recommendations of what the king should do to honor the man that the king delights to honor. First, he should dress him in the royal robes. This is more than looking fancy. This is sign, kind of saying that they share in their kingship. If you remember way back in second Sam, first or second Samuel, um, um, uh, Jonathan gives the royal robes to David saying, listen, the kingship belongs to you. Okay, so the first thing is to dress him in the royal robes. The second thing he says is give him the king's horse with a crown on it. May he have that glory which only belongs to the king. And the third and final thing is that he gives one of the king's most noble officials with this very important job of proclaiming to all who, uh, all who see this parade that the man riding on the horse is the one whom the king delights to honor. You know, if we're honest, I think we have a similar portrait of honor. We want people to roll out the red carpet for us. We want people to maybe even bow down to us. I remember when I was in seminary in St. Louis, I was driving across the state to Kansas City, which is four hours away. And halfway, there's a city, Columbia, Missouri, where I went to school, uh, I, uh, college. I, I served a ministry called Young Life there. And, uh, and there was about 40 to 50 leaders there that I had invested in for two, three years, maybe more. And so I was driving through and it was going to be about dinner time. So I sent an email out to all of my friends saying, hey, I'm driving through. I'm going to be at this restaurant at that time. You know, if anyone would like to come and join me for dinner, I'd love to see you and catch up and things like that. Right. And so I'm, I'm driving to the restaurant. I'm picturing like this is going to be a fairly sizable crowd. You know, maybe there will be balloons and cards and tears and laughter and things like that. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Well, I get to the restaurant one person shows up. And that one person assumed that I was buying dinner. So I'm not even really sure they showed up for me, to be honest with you. But we expect people to roll out the red carpet for us, to cherish us, to delight in us, even to bow down to us. Don't you want everybody just to do what you say? Because after all, you know what's best, right? We want to be treated like kings, like queens. And as Rodney Dangerfield says, we get no respect, <laughs> not to the degree that we want or that will satisfy our souls. And it leaves us always thirsty for more. And so in this passage, we have this portrait of worldly honor. But the good news is the world is not all there is. There is a path to honor our souls long for, a path we are made for, a path that is counterintuitive to the world a path God only, only God could think of. And it's a path to honor that God himself took. So let's look at this path to honor. Again, remember, uh, Haman comes early in the morning to get the king to agree to, to kill Mordecai. A king calls Haman in, asks him what he can do to honor the one whom he delights to honor. Haman assumes the king is talking about himself. And so Haman gives this list of things that the king can do to honor Haman. And so Haman is about to live his dream. He is so excited, so overwhelmed with anticipation and excitement for the king to say, thus and, and may it be done to you. Haman is so excited for that. And then we get to verse 10. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robes and the horse as you have said and do so to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate, leave out nothing that you have mentioned. 
can I ask you, how much money would you pay to be a fly on the wall in this room? I mean, I'd probably pay, I guess, probably $200 to $100. I'm pretty cheap. But I would love to be in that room and see the blood drain out of Haman's face as the king says, go and do this to Mordecai, the Jew, your enemy who you want to kill. Verse 11 continues, says, so Haman took the robes and the horse and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, hear ye, hear ye, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. This is one of the funniest chapters in the whole Bible. I'm sorry, but if I was there and I was drinking milk and I saw this, milk would be shooting out my nose. I would be rolling around laughing because the very man who just made an edict to genocide the Jews was now parading a Jew around on a horse in royal robes. I mean, what must the Jews have been thinking who saw this? Hopefully they were thinking, God's up to something. God's doing something. God's working something out. Because God was. What we see in this passage, what is so wonderful, is that the one who has sought to make much of himself is being humiliated. But the one who has humbled himself is being exalted. Remember, it was Mordecai who humbled himself through crying, through tearing his clothes, through sackcloth and ashes, who cried out to God for deliverance. It was Mordecai who urged Esther to go to the king for such a time as this, for the deliverance of the Jews. And it was Mordecai who in faith said to Esther that if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. Mordecai had humbled himself underneath the hand of a mighty God, and so God has exalted him. Verse 12 continues. It says, Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and weeping, sorry, mourning and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. If you remember, this happened at the end of last chapter when Mordecai didn't bow and wasn't shaking in fear. Haman went home and he said, Mordecai won't bow to me. Help me, please, right? And what did they say? They said, hang Haman. I'm sorry, they said, hang Mordecai, right? That's what they said, hang Mordecai. But this time their response is very, very different. It is shockingly different. Verse 13 continues, says, Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, the people of the Lord God, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. Wow, what an amazing statement by pagans saying, Listen, if he belongs to the Jewish people, even though they are the, 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 the regulated, oppressed minority in our culture, even though you are the second most powerful man in the entire world, if he's a Jew, you don't have a chance. See, our God has a reputation. A reputation that was earned on a learning curve. Pharaoh learned it the hard way. So did Nebuchadnezzar. So did Belshazzar, and now will Haman. No king, no ruler, no politician is a match for our God. 
You know, if you're here and you are fretting over the upcoming election, worried that your candidate is not going to win and that Christianity is at stake, remember God is in control of our politicians. Even the most powerful man in the world, God controls his sleep schedule. God controls what they read. God controls their building of gallows. No matter who wins this fall, God is still in control. Christ is still king. And for that reason, the kingdom of God is not in jeopardy. The gates of hell shall not prevail. That is a promise from God because he is in control of the chaos. God is with his people, the church. Verse 14, I love this ending. Again, just the comedy of this chapter is so overwhelming. It says, while they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. I love this because things are starting to look up for Haman, right? Things are about to get better. Well, if you know the end of the story, if you know how the story goes, you know his happy moment is very momentary because it's gonna get a whole lot worse for Haman. And the reason is because God has exalted the one who has humbled himself and he is going to humiliate the one who has exalted himself. You see, as we ask the question, what is the path to honor in the kingdom? This is the very path that God will exalt the humble. You see, in the world, we say the way up is up. Step on who you have to. Don't be disrespected by others. Take nothing from no one, go up. But in the kingdom of God, the way up is to go down. Jesus says this, he gathers his disciples together. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. And then Jesus says, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you, go up, must be your servant, go down. And whoever would be first among you must be you are slave. The way up in the kingdom of God is to go down. If you want to be first, you must be last. If you want honor, you must serve. And we know this is true because as Jesus continues, he says to his disciples, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, it was the Lord Jesus who came not for a passion to be honored for his own glory, but a passion to lay down his glory. It was the Lord Jesus who had a portrait of honor that was not riding in on a horse into Jerusalem, but on a lowly donkey. It was the Lord Jesus who did not take the path up by boasting of his divinity, but Jesus took the path down by hanging in humiliation on the gallows of the cross. And it was Jesus who lay dead in the ground, Things were looking up for Satan. He had orchestrated and humiliated and executed the son of God. But if you know how the story goes, you know it will only get worse for Satan after a couple of days. Because like Haman, Satan's plot is about to backfire on a cosmic level. For three days, Satan must have been dancing in delight. But then came the third day. The stone was rolled away. The grave was empty. The disciples were stunned because Jesus was alive. He defeated sin and death and Satan. What is the path of honor in the kingdom of God? It is to go down, to humble ourselves, to trust the Lord, and to become servants of others. Let me end with this. And I know I've gone long, but there's so much good stuff here. 
Uh, at the beginning, I told you that, that this word Yegar appears 16 times in the Old Testament, eight times in the book of Esther, uh, two times in the first chapter as the king's trying to promote his own honor and the honor of men in the kingdom. Six or uh, another five times here in chapter six as Haman fights to be honored and how Mordecai is honored in his place. But there's one final time that this term Yakar appears, which means to be honored. And it's later in Esther chapter 8, and I think we have the verses up here on the screen. Esther 8, 15 through 16. This happens right after Xerxes, I'm giving away the story, how the story ends, but Xerxes uh, issues an edict saving the Jews, okay? And this is what it says. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple, and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and yekar, honor. Friends, all of us long to be honored. All of us long to be cherished and valued and treasured. But the only one who give, give us that which will satisfy our souls is God above. You see, Haman's problem and the world's problem and often our problem is not that we seek to be honored and loved and cherished, but we seek it from the wrong king. Final illustration. This past week, I was out to lunch with Pastor Dan Breed and Pastor Chad Bodwin, and the waitress came out to us, and, and she's probably upper 20s, younger 30s, and she's serving us and doesn't seem really excited to be there, to be honest with you. And she has a tattoo on her arm that says, Queen. And uh, feel, by the way, if, if, any, if any waitress has three pastors, as feel sorry for the waitress. So, so we ask her, we say, hey, what, like, tell us about the tattoo. Why do you have this tattoo queen on you? And she's like, well, I was young and I was dumb when I got it. And she kind of, you know, was, was skirting around the issue a little bit. But you could tell she was a bit jaded. She had been hurt. You know, she, she desired to be treated like a queen, to be honored and cherished like a queen. Um, but man after man had let her down. And so finally, one of us uh, said, maybe you just need to find the right king. Jesus says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. If you want to satisfy your longing for value, for honor, for love, go to the right king. Go to the king of kings. And the Father above will delight in honoring you because we will be clothed in the royal robes of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you delight to honor us, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Thank you, God, that you have clothed us in his robes of righteousness. May God, we, God, may we be satisfied in your love and your honor and your cherishing of us so that we may not be slaves in seeking it from others. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.